how are you? <laughs> Hello, Aurelia. I'm good. <laughs> good. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. And, and a happy Valentine's Day to you as well. And happy Galentine's Day. Galentine's um, Day. Did, did Leslie Nope? Did Leslie Nope create Galentine's Day? Like, is that who made it famous? I don't know if she made it. Or I don't know if she created it, but I think she really did, like, solidify it, it. Yeah. put it out into the zeitgeist. The Here's my, <laughs> oh. I keep this photo with me on my desk at all times. It's a, it's a really... picture of Leslie Nope, and it says Leslie Nope is my spirit animal, which we're not really supposed to use spirit animal anymore, but... This was purchased years ago, so. Um, I would say that I definitely get big Leslie Nope vibes from you. That is I so hope kind. you're complimented. Um, that is one of my, like, favorite things that students used to tell me is, and it was probably in part because I taught government class, um, and I also would occasionally show clips from Parks and Rec in said government class. But occasionally they would tell me uh, that I reminded them of Leslie Nope, and then I would give them an A++. <laughs> <laughs> Not always, but usually kids who really loved Parks and Rec were like also pretty good students. I don't know what the correlation there is, but... It exists. Um, speaking of Valentine's Day, yes. we have a, a special uh, like, love, or ug, which we haven't done in a while, but we have it is a segment I quite enjoy. So, no, Katie, I think back. you said you have uh, a few categories, yes. right? Okay, so I thought we could do like, love, and ug for like val- traditional Valentine's Day gifts. So, okay. here are the three items that I have chosen flowers stuffed animals candy okay so I'm just gonna say flowers I love flowers Mm -hmm. um roses on Valentine's Day I feel like is a little cliche but if you love roses and your significant other knows that then like Totally great. You do, you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do love flowers, like candy. Um, I hate okay. conversation hearts. I think they're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, but they're I like chocolate, chocolate, like a box of chocolate I'm into. Um, sure. And then I'm going to ug stuffed animals, unless you're a kid mm-hmm. or like maybe in high school. I think stuffed animals is a weird gift in my opinion, for an adult woman. But that's just me. (laughs) No, I agree 100%. That is actually my exact ranking as well. Um, But that makes sense because we do both love flowers. Yes, I love flowers. Big into flowers. And as everyone should know, the best place to buy flowers is... Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. (laughs) I think, do we say that in this... In this interview with Carrie, I feel like we just talked yes. about this. It, yeah. it may have been in a, in our other interview that we did last week, um, but we definitely talked about it. We talked to someone about how Trader Joe's truly is the best place to buy flowers because they're, like, so cute. They last forever. And they're, like, pretty affordable. 
Yeah, I would say for the like quality and the amount of flowers that you get, it's like, I don't know, six or seven bucks maybe for a bouquet. Yeah, I and did one time go... I went, oh, you went to Trader You're ahead. like holding, is this from Trader Joe's, this item that you're <laughs> yeah, holding? Yeah, I went to hand? Trader Joe's yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to do a live taste test of this item. Oh my gosh. I'm nervous. Okay, do it. Do it. I'm do really it. nervous. Okay, so I, as you guys probably know, I do like TikTok. I try not to do it too much, but. Um, some of the accounts that I follow on TikTok are like Trader Joe, like Stan accounts. Basically, mm-hmm. I follow I follow those on Instagram. Those kind of accounts, yeah. So Trader Joe's came out with this new condiment called Magnificence, and it's Ooh. like people said that it's like um the like the sauce that you get at In and Out. Uh huh. Oh my so gosh, I'm, I'm so excited. It. I really hope it's good. I heard it this was really is something good. I would love to have in my life. Mm. I like it. I do like it. It's a, it's maybe a slightly sweet, but I I think if you put it on like a burger or like french mm-hmm. fries, like something salty, it would be a good balance. Ooh, okay. Um, I actually um Trader Joe's recommendation that I'm going to throw out there. So yesterday, Joe and I did like a little movie day because I um, was really bored and we're staying inside like, you know, good pandemic-y people. And I was like, I need an activity. So we like did a little movie day, got some candy and popcorn. And uh, I put on the popcorn two things from Trader Joe's. I mixed um, everything but the elote seasoning and their chili lime seasoning, which Mm. as we both know is like delicious because it's on those chili lime, like the roll up. The talky things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those. Yeah. Um, So I put some of that on the popcorn as seasoning and it was very yummy. That sounds truly amazing. Um. My parents, when I was growing up, <laughs> they would always put nutritional yeast on popcorn. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. As like a cheese substitute. Yeah. And like it's pretty salty. So instead of adding like salt, they would just put mm-hmm. nutritional yeast on warm popcorn. Um, and like nutritional yeast is like popular now or like more popular. I, think, I have than it used some. to be. In the pantry because I got it when I was like doing Whole30 for like two weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of like Whole30 compliant stuff now that I just have because I didn't really use all of it. And now it's just like sitting here. So maybe I should put it on some popcorn. Yes. My dad also, he would um, make like crispy tofu when I was growing up and he would put Mm -hmm. tamari or soy sauce and nutritional yeast on top of it. And it was so good. Ooh, Um, Maddie, my sister, Maddie, are you listening? She's vegetarian. So um, big fan. Crispy tofu. Yeah. Crispy tofu is the jam. I will say though that my dad, he used to make tempeh for me mm-hmm. growing up and like now I have an aversion to tempeh because it was just it was too much for my child palate I think I wasn't ready <laughs> that's for fair. it yeah that's, I guess. <laughs> and also it looks like it looks like a brain like it looks yeah. like weird and I think for kids like 
you eat, you definitely eat with your eyes first. So oh, definitely. I like okay. wouldn't eat like sausage when I was a kid because I thought that the outside, <laughs> like the casing, looked like slimy to me. Sure. It's like, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. so I like couldn't. Do, I would eat like hot dogs, but I couldn't do sausage. But I've since gotten over that, thankfully. That's good. Um. Oh, speaking of like food and cooking, I made this like amazing I would say it's a yeah I would say it's a hybrid between banana bread and banana cake so I made an upside down banana bread so I I know I had some um old bananas in my freezer that I was like I need to use these so I made like a banana cake and then I chopped up like a fresh banana that I had with uh, brown sugar and butter and you put it like on the Mm -hmm. bottom and then you flip it when it's done and it's like so good it turned out great I'm very oh I actually did make a recipe that I would like to recommend to people this week it is from half-baked harvest shout out of course here again um she made like a chipotle chicken soup that you put Mm. over rice like you make rice and then the soup and then you put it together and I did it she has uh instructions for instant pot but also for just like crock pot or on the stove and so I made it in the instant pot and it was like so quick and it saved great for like leftovers the next day and it made a bunch and it was like it's all stuff that you usually just kind of have on hand um so it was like really really easy and I would definitely recommend that yeah that sounds great um Okay, speaking of things, <laughs> speaking of things that are not great, uh, let's talk about The Bachelor. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So this is like old Big, news like, by now. Drama. Chris Harrison is a piece of shit. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a little strong, but I just felt like as a white man and any person that like hasn't experienced you know racism and adversity firsthand like I don't think that you're allowed to downplay it like that's not for mm-hmm. you <laughs> yeah a hundred percent um no he for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about uh context is that like bachelor nation just historically is very like not that progressive um, when it comes to stuff like racial stuff. Also, I mean, they have like zero, you know, like body diversity on the show. Like just it's not a great look. And the show's been on for a really long time. And, you know, society has definitely progressed. And the show maybe has, has not, not yeah. as much along uh, along the same lines. And, you know, things are getting better. We have the first Black Bachelor. We've had two Black Bachelorettes now. Like, that's improvement. But uh, a few weeks ago, some stuff came out about one of the contestants on this season and things that she did in college that were, like, pretty racist, uh, like going to an Old South plantation-themed party, uh, friends dressing up as, uh, like, indigenous people, and, you know, which is not... (laughs) like cultural appropriation stuff um Mm -hmm. former classmates have come out and said that she like made fun of them for liking black guys like all this stuff and you know 
no one in Bachelor Nation was saying anything about it. And finally, with this plantation party, the photos coming out, uh, it kind of forced their hand and they had to say something about it. And Chris Harrison did an interview on TV um, along with Rachel Lindsay, who was the first black bachelorette and is like super awesome and very like gracious for educating um, people on these things. Um, yeah, the interview, if you watch it, it's it's not great. It's he not a good like look. defends <laughs> racism and is like saying yeah. that maybe things are racist now in 2021, but they weren't seen as racist in 2018. Which like, <laughs> it's like just because... Uh, no. Yeah, and just because maybe he wasn't aware that those things were offensive in 2018, there were plenty of other people who still thought that those things were offensive and are still offensive now and are totally unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make some recommendations real quick because I don't think people really need like a ton more. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they need more conversation from like us to white women on mm. this necessarily. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say some people to go check out. One would be Rachel Lindsay. Check out her Instagram. She also has a podcast um oh what is the podcast called um higher learning podcast uh where she talks about this so you could definitely check her out also uh tay mocha on um instagram taylor was on the bachelor taylor nolan she was a contestant a few years ago she also has a really really great instagram that i would recommend following and then another account is hold on let me find do, do, do. there's a new podcast called like black bachelorette or black ba yeah the black bachelorette so you can go check that out too wait no i don't think this is it it's spelled differently so i'm like having trouble finding it we can always there we go the black bachelor so it's uh okay. oh it's the black chillerettes i see t-h-e-b-l-c-k-c-h-e-l-o-r-e-t-t-e-s gotcha. -E 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 uh vic and me and they have a podcast and stuff anyway they're another good account to follow if you want to know more about like the drama that's happening <laughs> off screen that's right um, one more thing that I wanted to talk about before we get to our interview. I know, like, I want to say it was like a couple months ago, Katie and I were talking about skincare and yes. how Katie is like on the move. Okay. I'm so, on a skincare journey. Yeah. I'm about to look for an eye cream. So if anyone has an eye cream recommendation. <laughs> Do you have an eye cream? Are you about to tell me no. about an eye cream? Oh, no. Okay. That would have been... Fate. Amazing. No, I got it's it's called the it's by this company called the the Ordinary. Yes, I have a toner from the Ordinary and double shout out to my sister Maddie. She just uh texted me about this company the other day asking if people liked it and I said, "Overall, I've heard positive reviews." Um, but please tell us about the So the product. I um you know, I just had my 32nd birthday and I'm really trying to like take care of my skin and mm 
Um, Never too was, early to start. That's right. So I got this hyaluronic acid. Mm-hmm. And I got it at Sephora, and it was only like $12. And I feel like this bottle is going to last a while. Um, yeah, the Ordinary just is use, pretty like, affordable. Yeah. Um, and I really like it so far. Basically, hyaluronic acid attracts like a th- up to a thousand times its weight in moisture to your skin. Mm-hmm. So it like keeps your skin really hydrated. Uh, yeah. So I highly recommend it for all you uh, skincare babes out there. Yes. Well, anything else? Uh, anything else burning that you want to talk about? Yeah, but that's for my doctor. Um, just kidding. <laughs> what a good joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you heard it here I'm fine. First, I don't guys. have any medical issues at the moment. I just <laughs> want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> I was no, worried. Um, no, I think, yeah, let's get to the, to the interview. This week, we chatted with our friend Carrie Pulley, who um, also did our logo she made the logo uh for this podcast but that's really not even what we're talking about with her her full-time job is she is a where did it go a mental health clinician yeah she's a mental health clinician and clinical supervisor at Eskenazi Health here Mm -hmm. in Indy and uh, we talked to her about therapy about her career path getting into this um kind of like navigating access to mental health care and barriers to that and burnout and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really good episode and uh, we hope you like it. Enjoy. everyone well <laughs> okay so here's, there's so, oh my god there's so many people um what I was about to say when I started speaking I was about to be like hey ladies but then I was like no I hate that and I want to stab myself in the face like, like sorority thing like yeah. okay ladies like hey, ladies. just want to as quick reminder the ice machine is for everyone <laughs> Um, anyway, welcome everyone to the podcast and a special welcome to our friend, Carrie Pulley, who is here today to chat uh, about her job as a mental health clinician and clinical supervisor and special, quick special shout out. Carrie is the one who designed our logo. Oh yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, she did. It's, it's great. It's a wonderful logo. If you haven't seen I'm it, then I don't like really understand how you would be listening. But <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's just jump right in. Carrie, we always ask our guests the same question to start off, which is what did you want to be when you grew up and what do you do now? When I grew up, oh, I had so many dreams who knew you could have an existential crisis before you hit double digits but I was (laughs) always searching for what would be my meaning and I really wanted to be an actress uh and then a a lawyer senator like those all sound like the same thing to me 
Yeah, you're just performing for people that may or may not like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to do those things. I was on track to do those things right up to college. And now I am a licensed mental health clinician for the state of Indiana uh, or through the state of Indiana. Uh, so that breaks down really lead to I'm a therapist. And now that I'm a supervisor, I actually advise other therapists and train them how to be therapists while overseeing uh, a caseload. My team is about 600 people, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I also oversee all of the staff that serve those clients. And they're all adults with uh, serious mental illness. All right. So a lot of adventures. <laughs> so a little different than an actress. A li- yeah, a little different than an actress. So what kind of got you into this work? Because there clearly was a shift at some point. What yeah. interests you about this? I grew up in a psychology household. My dad is actually a psychologist. Um, and so growing up, obviously mental health was just something that we were able to talk about. Um, I also had several family members with really serious mental illness who I grew up around. So it was never something that didn't make sense to me. And not until I would say high school, college, did I realize how few people actually had that same opportunity to grow up around mental illness. And that was something that really struck me because if I had that opportunity. That's great. But that means there's a lot of people out there whose families didn't encourage them, um, didn't encourage them to take care of their mental health or even acknowledge that this was something that should be discussed openly. So that was a big part of the turnaround for me was realizing like I have this, like this wild wealth of privilege in this area and it would just make a lot more sense for me to use it. The other thing that really got me into wanting to know about mental health, especially like the brain and what impacts it is my senior year of high school, I had a small stroke and I remember being overwhelmed by the thought that like my brain is this lump of flesh powered by electricity. And if my stroke had hit me even a millimeter in a different spot, I would be rendered completely unable to live. So like my, a lot of my stuff is driven by, I think the brain is awesome and weird and wonderful. And I just wanted to help people understand it. Absolutely. I think that's great. Yeah, those are lofty goals. Yeah, (laughs) Yes. Perspective that you have, I think. So I know you mentioned that you work with adults, but I'm curious, what like populations do you work with most and how do your clients find you? So I've actually been very fortunate to work with a lot of different populations. Um, I started in mental health working with adults with developmental disabilities. And then I did contract work for DCS and probation. So working with entire family units. And now um, I love my population. It's adults with serious mental illness. The majority of our adults experience psychosis of some kind. Then we also have major depressive mood disorders. Um, Yeah, and it's just like all range of ages. 
So I work for Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health, which used to be Midtown, which is located near downtown Indianapolis. So a big part of our population that finds the radio us are homeless or disadvantaged um, and have to center themselves close to downtown because that's where the resources are. And many of them have been institutionalized or hospitalized throughout their life. And it's just kind of a natural progression to get into community mental health services. It's actually a lot of times a requirement upon release from hospital. But the great thing, the thing that is different than all my other jobs is everybody who is there is there voluntarily. Even though some people don't fully want to be there, (laughs) the clients actually understand that there is some benefit in coming. That's great. So how do they find you then? You say it's voluntary, but maybe it's because of a situation they were in. Are they like Mm -hmm. referred to you? There are people who are referred to us by like probation and less so DCS. We don't have a contract with them, which I, uh, while grateful for DCS workers, I'm glad that we're not bound to that contract because it's very difficult to manage. Um, But for the rest of them, if someone goes to the emergency room for a psychiatric emergency, um, anytime they're discharged from the hospital, part of the follow-up planning is like they have to have a future appointment. So we want to make sure we're following up. Uh, I think it's 40 to 50% of intake appointments don't show up at all. Um, But the ones that do, we have to get them linked to long-term psychiatric care. So Eskenazi is one of... Oh boy, not well, more than some cities, but we have like a handful of hospitals and mental health centers. Eskenazi is, I'm very proud of it, the one that does the most to serve underprivileged populations and people without insurance. So we get a lot of people that other hospitals just say, Oh, we can't help you with this. Go to Eskenazi. We're the catch all for Indianapolis. And I love that. So switching gears a little bit, um, what uh, certifications did you have to get to be qualified for this job? Like, I'm assuming you have to have an undergrad and a master's degree at least. Mm -hmm. So for my specific licensure, from the first day of undergrad to the final to the day that I sat for my final board licensure was a 10 year process. Um, Cause we had undergrad, then graduate after graduate and the uh, not apprenticeship, uh, the, the practicums that you would do with different agencies. You then have to fulfill an additional two years of supervised practice leading up to like 3000 hours of practice. Then you sit for, your associate's license. And then after that, usually a year or two after that, you sit for full licensure. So it's a process. Sit for, can you just expand upon, is it a test just so people have a- Yeah, it is a pretty expansive test. Um, it, It draws upon knowledge that you forgot like the second day of grad school. Yeah. There's a lot of money to be made with the uh, prep conferences for those exams because we don't remember any of the stuff that you're trying to tell (laughs) us to remember. 
Do you have to pay but, for those exams too? Yes. Yeah. They're okay. usually yeah. a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Cause it's not like we have student loans or anything. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember taking the teaching license tests and that's what made me think of this is when you were like, there's stuff on the test that we don't remember. I remember taking the history one and it was literally asking me about like 17th century feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's not, uh, not going to be teaching that in eighth grade social studies, but okay. <laughs> so yeah. do you have to also then do just like parallel to teaching? Is there stuff you do to renew licenses or do you have it for a specific period of time? Oh yeah. We have to renew it every two years. So like we pay to renew it, but also we have to maintain, um, over that two year period, Indiana, I think the standards are a little bit different, but basically a minimum of like a hundred continuing education hours across a two year period and they will audit you. (laughs) So you have to keep every single certificate, everything you've done. Um, If you don't meet those requirements, you get a pretty hefty fine. And if that, if it happens again, you lose your license and you're not able to reapply. So they take that really seriously. Wow. (laughs) Um, Luckily, there's a lot of ways to get those education hours, including teaching, which is, I mean, one of the things that I'll be doing um, to new employees coming up. So I'll be covered, which is a relief. Good, good. Um, Oh, go ahead, Aurelia. I was just going to say, so if someone was interested, has a, a bachelor's already, um, are there a variety of master's programs that you can go into that could lead to this job? Or is there like one specific path? I would say there's a few paths. Um, I mean, if you're looking for the overall being a licensed clinician, you can take the path of um, what I did, which was mental health counselor. You can also go through the School of Social Work um, to get the LCSW. You can go through marriage and family therapy tract to be licensed in that area. So just for what we call master's level clinicians, there's like a few different paths you can take. Um, In addition to that, there's also the more research and um, clinical based degrees that you can do. And those go all the way through doctorate. So there's basically, there's a way for anybody to find exactly what that little path is they want to take yeah that's great yeah what what, just to give people maybe a better idea of like what you do on a day-to-day basis can you tell us a little bit about maybe what uh, what you do on a regular day as a supervisor and then maybe like what a regular day was like before you were a supervisor like more entry-level position or Yeah, this is actually technically the third position that I've had um, at Eskenazi. So the first one was just a basic team clinician. And we're the, um, we're like the sounding board for the rest of the team who are who aren't licensed. So we can um, staff and advise them on clinical care. But also as team clinician, you would have your own caseload of people that you were seeing every day for therapy. And we use evidence-based practices. Um, we have weekly staffing with a supervisor who's you know, now me to make sure that we're bound to ethical care, that if we have any issues, we're able to work that out. 
So the majority of your time as a clinician is supposed to be spent face-to-face with clients. Um, and then there's like updating treatment plans and stuff, but that's definitely supposed to be the, the smallest part of your job. There's also a lot of crisis situations, um, especially with COVID, <laughs> where we have to assess people and make sure that they get to the safest place possible, whether it's hospitalization, um, sometimes lockup, that, that we never like to send them there. Or sometimes it's just we end up sitting and talking to someone for an hour and making a safety plan. So after I was team clinician, I became the intake clinician, which is still my favorite job. And I was very sad to leave that. And so that means I was responsible for performing almost all of the intakes that were coming into our agency. So across three different programs. And the intake is when you first show up to services, you sit through like an hour to an hour and a half assessment where we go over what are the things that you're experiencing now what are some of the historical factors and then um, creating a score to determine their level of need. And then I would get to diagnose them. And that was one of my favorite parts Uh, because it's just like solving a puzzle and being able to share that information with them. That was my favorite part of intakes is being able to help them understand sometimes for the first time, what it means to have a mental illness. And now I'm a supervisor. (laughs) So really much less client face-to-face time and a whole lot more of making sure that my team, which is made up of case managers, therapists, employment consultants, and community workers, making sure that they are successful and helping back up their clinical decisions, evaluating them, um, doing a lot of boss stuff and like rolling out the new and like the new measures that our clinic is always updating. Wow, it sounds like you have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of people. (laughs) You're interacting with people all the time. So for me, you know, that would get a little overwhelming. How do you prevent burnout? What kind of like self-care do you try to practice? Oh, the burnout. Um, That's an ongoing conversation in leadership because like, especially right now, everybody's burned out. What? And people manage it so differently. <laughs> so I've certainly had my share of unhealthy ways to manage burnout. Um, but the biggest one that you have to remind yourself is as much as you care about the clients and their outcomes, their outcomes are not your outcomes. So like you, I have heard incredibly heartbreaking, disturbing things from clients. Yeah, you know, I've been in situations that certainly made me fear for my safety. Um, But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is this something that is going to benefit anybody by me taking it home with me? And this is a big part of mental health is something called mindfulness, which is essentially you acknowledge that you are having a memory or experiencing a feeling or having a reaction. You acknowledge it's happening, but you don't allow it to define the next moment. Self-care is so much of an internal thing and it's so difficult to get right, which is why we as a community and, you know, even just on a smaller scale, my team always has to be enforcing that with each other because it's hard. (laughs) It's really hard work. Especially right now, I think like even though maybe people have more downtime and stuff, I think motivation or like internal 
drive to do those things is definitely lower, at least for me. <laughs> so, I would agree with that. A hundred percent. That's been the case for me too. Um, so I was one of the, I think maybe four or five people across the whole agency who was still going into the clinic every single day during COVID. Everyone else went to work from home and I preferred coming to the clinic. I couldn't handle work from home. I don't have the discipline for it. Um, but it became really apparent the impact that the isolation was having on me and that it was having on my workers who typically we would pop in and out of each other's offices throughout the day. We would be goofy and yelling things across the hall. And suddenly like we don't, we didn't see each other for five months. We would have online meetings, but that's certainly not the same. And my motivation plummeted. I still did my job, but like my heart was heavy every day. There was nobody checking in and I wasn't able to connect with people the way that I wanted to. And I think, I mean, you see it all the time now that they're releasing studies saying that mental health crisis is going to be the next pandemic. And it is. I mean, it's, we all have endured this sustained trauma that is still unfolding and none of us have gotten a second to take a breath and, you know, plan for long-term healing because we don't know when the healing is going to start. So yeah, that sucks it out of you. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of are touching on this, but I wondered if you could speak just to like, what are some of maybe the major issues or challenges that this field is facing right now? I know there's probably a lot. (laughs) Um, So I I will say I'm excited to see how the field is benefited by the new administration (laughs) because it certainly was ravaged by the last one between Mm -hmm. funding cuts and also I'll say when the leader of the country is um, actively mocking people for having disability or having mental health crises, that not only emboldens the more ignorant people to do the same, but it has people who are already dealing with the shame and stigma of mental health and mental illness, it drives them further away from seeking services. So Mm -hmm. I would say always and forever, one of our top barriers in the field is access and our ability to be accessed by others, our access to resources, the population that I work with, housing is such a big issue. Homelessness touches more than 50% of our caseload. If you don't have housing, how are you to prioritize taking medication Mm -hmm. or attending a doctor's appointment? Um, There are clients who don't have a watch to keep track of when their appointment is. And more importantly, if you don't feel safe sleeping at night, how are you supposed to be able to determine what is best for your long-term when tomorrow you could die? So I would say access to resources is the biggest challenge in this field. And also, I mean, burnout is definitely up there. Sometimes it's really hard not to take those devastating stories home with you. my dad was definitely exposed to many of those stories because he worked a lot with refugees, with people seeking political asylum. 
Um, he did disaster mental health. So like he went to ground zero and was there for a month right after it happened, counseling the firefighters. And he, oh boy, (laughs) it was, and I'm so proud of him for all of that. But, but one thing he told me was you can tell yourself you're not going to take something home, but when you close your eyes, you don't know what's going to pop up. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's true. And I think there's a lot of people who enter the field to, heal their own trauma without fully understanding that you're not there to heal your trauma. You're there to give other people permission to address theirs. And that is going to make you really uncomfortable a lot. And a lot of people aren't prepared for it. So on the flip side, if someone is listening to this podcast and they're thinking that they might benefit from getting into therapy or seeking mental health treatment, uh, what advice or information would you share with those people? If someone is thinking of getting mental health help, I want to tell you that I am so happy you are thinking about it. Like if I'm directly addressing them right now, I'll tell you the same thing I tell the clients that come to my office. I'm just so glad you're here and that Today, you made the choice to say, maybe it can be better. The, well, it, that's where we ask the worst case scenario question. If I go and seek therapy, what's the worst thing that will happen? I won't like it and my life won't change. What's the best thing that will happen? You'll find the power of healing and finally get to have a life that you truly deserve to live. I'm a big advocate Um, For people who have been blocked from mental health services, either due to cultural issues, family issues, economics, to try it one time. And if you like it, then try it one time after that. That's how we make the habit of taking care of ourselves: is allowing ourselves the grace to know that if we don't like it, we can step back. That's not a failure. That's a recognition of this wasn't right for me. So I would say... If you're considering it, go ahead and try it. There's no shame in seeking it, and there's no shame in leaving it behind either. Yeah, great advice. Do you also have maybe any advice or like recommendations for people who might be interested in a career like this? I don't know if there are like resources out there that they could take a look at. Oh, my advice to you if you're considering this career is do it. (laughs) And then please come work for me because I would love to have passionate, talented people on my team. Um, I think if you're seeking this, my thing, if you're trying to dive into any career, like truly a career that's going to require a lot of effort and dedication from you is ask yourself the three questions. How am I going to pay for this college? Um, what specifically is my goal upon exiting college and like what is the impact that I'm hoping to have with this you don't have to have perfect answers to those questions all you have to know is like there are options for funding don't be afraid of student loans because you know what we're all gonna die with them anyway it's fine. Money is meaningless. <laughs> and right now you don't even have to paying them. So oh my gosh. Yeah. Not my bank account is thrilled. So <laughs> don't worry so much about the money part, but ask yourself, like, are you doing this because you've been hurt 
And if that's the case, seek therapy before diving into the field. Um, I would even suggest, well, we suggest all the time, if you're in the field, still seek therapy. It used to be a requirement of doctoral programs for you to engage in therapy before you could graduate. Um, but if you're trying to get into the field, know what your goal is. Don't force yourself into a box of this is what I have to do forever because your role and your passion are going to change over time. So just go with the flow, man. We have one life and you get to explore all corners of the earth if you want to. Don't limit yourself. That's great advice. And I definitely think, you know, really evaluating reasons that you want to go into that field, especially for mental health services, is really important because it is so demanding, I think, of, of you once you start working in that field. That's the hard thing is knowing if your motivation is going to help or hurt you and the people that you're serving. I've definitely seen a lot of people in the field who are there because they say I'm passionate about people. And in reality, they're just passionate about feeling good when someone tells them they've done well. Those people will burn out very quickly and they will end up hurting the people they're trying to serve and hurting the team around them. The people who show up because I've had trauma and I would like to get a better idea of how to deal with this please seek therapy before you apply for student loans <laughs> um, just for your sake. And also because you might find a different path that uses that drive to self-educate for a whole different way to bless the world. And then you have weirdos like me who are like, the brain is such a weird sponge. What can we do to it? <laughs> and we are where we need to be. <laughs> Um, cool. Katie, do you have any other questions before we dive into our second half of the interview? Um, yes, I wanted to just real quick. I mean, Carrie, you do like a million other things I feel like we could <laughs> ask about. Um, but I was wondering if maybe you wanted to give a little like blurb about Camp Riode and the work that you do with them. And, you know, for people who maybe don't know about it and want to check it out. Oh, Camp Rio Ad is the, it's my, it's my happiest place on earth. <laughs> so what it is, it's a, a once a year overnight camp, which for COVID precautions was canceled last year. And um, we had to cancel it this year for the same reason. But uh, what it is, it's a, I've been doing it for 13 years. It is a overnight camp for adults with developmental disabilities, ranging from age 16 to, I think, well, two years ago, our oldest camper was 78. Um, and, yeah, it is a hoot. And it's really just giving them the opportunity to have a week where they're not facing a world that overlooks and underestimates them. And it's a church camp, so... Once a year, I get to pretend I still go to church. <laughs> um, and it's just an opportunity for us to show like enthusiastic love to these people who give us love just without question. Um, it's wonderful. If you ever want to know about it, heck, contact me because I will gush about it for any length of time. Yeah, That's it's really... really looks amazing. I love when you post pictures from those weeks because it's like you can feel the happiness coming through. So 
Oh, it's great. <laughs> I get so happy and like overwhelmed with joy when I think about it and just like you guys know that I'm a goofy human. When I'm there, it is no holds barred. I run around saying like, <laughs> good morning, my chickadees. And I play ukulele at my campers to wake them up, not to them, at them. And they love it. And it's just so wonderful to be embraced so fully and selflessly and to be able to give that back even like one week a year to them. Yeah. It might be the one week I actually do believe in God. <laughs> well, if he's real, then he just heard you say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. So for those of you that don't know, Carrie, among many of her talents, uh, is also an improviser. And that's how Katie and I know her through the improv group that I'm not in it anymore because I don't live in Indianapolis, but that we were in together. Um, and we're going to play a couple of backline games. Katie, do you want to explain what backline games are for yes, our... I do. I do want to explain. Um, backline <laughs> games are just like joke telling games. Normally in improv, you're like doing scenes or it's more like gimmicky, but this is just like, here is a joke prompt and we fill in a suggestion uh, to the joke prompt and then we come up with a punchline and honestly it's probably been like a year since I've done any backline games so yeah <laughs> we're so gonna we'll see how it goes <laughs> so the first uh game that we're gonna try is I like my blank like I like my blank so yes. we'll get a suggestion and we don't have an audience but we do have a google doc with some suggestions on it um and we'll compare the prompt to whatever our preferences, men, women, cats, I don't know. Um, so for example, I like my bananas. Is that right? I like my men, like I like, I my, really bananas. like my bananas. Yeah. To split. <laughs> 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 You can tell it's been a long time since I've been to a comedy show because that was hilarious to me. <laughs> um, so we're going to give it a try and see what happens. All right. So I, I let's do um, camping. Okay. Oh, I like I like my men like I like camping, pitching a tent. Oh, <laughs> that was good. I know that was good. Wow, good for me. I like my men like I like camping. Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I was gonna say something along the same lines. I like my men like I like camping unshowered and super itchy <laughs> this sounds like we don't like camping um <laughs> i like my men like i like camping I, always sounds good in theory but ultimately disappointing i think that's the winner <laughs> for me <laughs> okay let's do a new suggestion how about um flowers 
Hmm. I like my men like I like my flowers. Delicate. <laughs> oh, I like my men like I like my flowers. Attractive to all the bees. <laughs> I like my men like I like my flowers. Overpriced. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Affordable at Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has the best flower. Really? Yeah. yeah, they're such a good price and they last a long such time. Such a good price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to Aldi's. I like to buy a bouquet and then give it to a woman in line behind me. <laughs> she's yeah, she's like, I sense. don't understand it, but thank you. <laughs> um. Okay, I have one. I like my men, like I like my flowers, slightly wilted. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> That's not true. I like my men like I like my flowers. Cut at the stem. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, good. That's so good. Should we do one more? Or do you have any more flower-related ones? Do you want to do a world's worst? Sure. You want to explain? Yeah. Okay. So world's worst, it's like we come up with a a thing, a job, a group, a a type of person, and we say um, we just act out the world's worst version of that. (laughs) Like Like world's... If it were world's worst Santa, you might be like, I'm allergic to cookies. Ha ha ha. Right. Just like. <laughs> All right. What suggestion do you um, Let's do librarian. World's worst librarian. <laughs> world's worst librarian. <laughs> You're going to read that? Nerd. <laughs> world's worst librarian it is too quiet in here (laughs) world's worst librarian you know those are great for kindling right (laughs) world's worst librarian okay i see the due date is oh my god you're pregnant Thank you. Um, let's see world's worst. Let's see world's worst beauty pageant. Mm. World's worst beauty pageant contestant. Sure. Okay. I'm just in this to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> world's worst beauty pageant okay and we'll line the turtles up here (laughs) that would be awesome it's a turtle pageant (laughs) (laughs) yeah that wouldn't be the worst that would be the best I don't think that mine's a joke yet I keep like (laughs) starting to say it but maybe when it's older world's worst pageant here bring us your children we'll judge them (laughs) I know I I, like all I could think was toddlers and tiaras which like is a legitimate thing but (laughs) it's the worst though that show is nuts (laughs) all their little fake teeth their flippers yeah it's so weird insane insane they Um, will definitely be my clients in the future (laughs) (laughs) yes 
Carrie, do you have anything that you want to like uh, promote? Do you want to shout out like your Instagram or your doodle page or anything like that? Oh yeah, I doodle and it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, so my Instagram for my doodling is at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, doodle, do, D-O, Carrie doodle do. And then if you ever want to truly, um, hurt your eyes and question why you're on the internet in the first place go ahead and follow maurice mantini Mm -hmm. yep yeah katie knows (laughs) uh i'm just not even gonna give you a warning on it just hope you like eggplant sure our good friend maurice (laughs) everyone go check him out that's a charmer thank you so much Thank you so much for having me. Anytime I get to gush about mental health, I will jump at the chance. We learned so much, so we really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later, Carrie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Girls Just Wanna. If you've made it this far, we consider you a close and personal friend. So we hope you'll subscribe and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And follow us at GJW Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye.